we're in, we're in the last bit of our series, Stranger Things. I'll tell you what, it's been strange, because we're looking at these kind of really strange Bible passages, and especially around the, especially around the supernatural, or, or the spiritual realm, it can be really strange looking at these passages in the Bible. And we've all experienced it, haven't we? Have you ever gone somewhere? You just felt like there's this presence. You can't explain it. You, you can't make sense. You, you just feel like there's this evil intelligence there. You don't know whether you've gone somewhere, something's happened. And we've all got these stories, right? You just feel kind of uncomfortable. You're walking home or you, something's happened or whatever. You just, we just can't explain it and what's going on. I remember years ago when our kids were very, very small, before they started having babies, <laughs> they were very small, I watched this movie, me and Porter, we watched this movie called Paranormal Activities, which is all about the paranormal. Let me tell you what, after that movie, I went around praying for the house, praying for every room, laying, praying over my kids, covering them in the blood of Jesus, every doorway and every window, and, just, and I was speaking in tongues. I was, I was doing everything, speaking in tongues, praying around the house and everything, and you know, I made a decision. I'm never going to watch any kind of movie like that again, right? Because that is just kind of, you know, because here's the thing, we know when we watch scary movies, when we watch movies about monsters or whatever, zombies or vampires or whatever it is, we know it's not real. But whether you're religious or not, you watch something about paranormal, it freaks you out because you're like, whoa, because everyone sensed something. What's going on? Today we're going to be looking, we're, gonna be, we're finishing up our series on this. If you're looking for a title for today's message, it is Spiritual Warfare. Spiritual warfare. Okay, you guys ready? <laughs> so we're going to take a look at this uh, strange passage in the Bible. And uh, it comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 19. It says this, I've given you authority. This is Jesus speaking. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Right? And, and you're like, what? what is, is this spiritual warfare? Is it we can... We can handle snakes and it won't harm us. Well, we've got some snakes we want to hand out to everybody. Could us just bring out the boxes? No, just kidding. No, we're not going to do that. No, no. <laughs> no, we're not going to. No, 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 no. That is not what this passage actually means. And you might have seen some clips of some churches actually doing this, but that's not what this passage means. But before we get into this passage and begin to dive a bit deeper into the strange passage in our Bible, we'll just do a bit of recap of the last three weeks, the last three strange weeks that we've had here. And we kind of looked at these kind of four rebellious spirits, right? And, and uh, in fact, in week one, we started with a talking snake, right? The talking snake, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. In fact, the Bible portrays this serpent, this original rebel, the first ever rebel. They portray this first rebel um, as the leader of all spiritual darkness today. In fact, it connects it all the way to Revelation, that the devil, that Satan, Hasatan, uh, all these titles that he has as the leader of the spiritual forces. And like what we've done in the last few weeks, we've been using the Bible Project. It's really good. I really enjoy Bible Project. You can search it up on YouTube. They've got some great videos, great explainer videos on the Bible. But let's have a look at this clip one last time from the Bible Project. So let's take a look at this. In Genesis 1, God creates a beautiful, ordered reality out of darkness and disorder so that life can flourish. He appoints humans as his representatives to rule over all of it, and seven times God calls it good. Yeah, I experience that kind of goodness often in the world, in things like beauty and truth, love and generosity. But in Genesis 3, we meet a creature who's in a state of rebellion against his creator. We're not told yet why or how he rebels, 
But he's on a mission to ruin God's good world for other creatures. This thing is trouble. Yeah, this creature is the Bible's first portrait of evil. It distorts what God has purposed for good, ruining and dragging creation back into darkness and disorder. So the humans join the spiritual rebel, which leads them back into chaos and death. And from this point on, the human rebellion is interwoven with a spiritual rebellion. And the biblical story shows how this happens over and over again. Okay, but wait, we're getting all this from a slithering snake? Well, there are clues in the story that it's more than just a snake. Remember, Eden is a high place where the earth and its creatures overlap with heaven and its creatures. So the snake could be a spiritual being. Well, Genesis 3 points in that direction, and then later biblical authors fill in the picture. Like when the prophet Isaiah has a vision of God's heavenly throne room, he's surrounded and being praised by the spiritual beings. Yeah, these are the cherubim around God's throne. But when Isaiah sees these creatures, he describes them as seraphim, which in Hebrew means snake. Ah, so the snake is like a former staff member in God's throne room. So why is he talking to the humans? Well, the prophet Ezekiel understood this figure as a spiritual rebel who didn't want to live under God's wisdom and authority. He wanted to be God. All right, that's the same temptation the snake puts before Adam and Eve. Exactly. He says they could rule the world like God, but by their own wisdom. So they're all kicked out of the garden. Yeah, God says this rebel will now crawl on its belly. Where does it go after this? Well, the biblical authors offer subtle clues where this being is at work behind the scenes, animating division and hatred between humans. They also use a variety of images to describe this being. It's a snake or a sea dragon or a dark desert creature or the king of death in the grave. He's also given many titles like tempter or the evil one or the devil, which in Greek means the slanderer. But his name is Satan, right? Actually, no. Satan is not a name. It's another one of these titles, which is why in Hebrew it has the word the in front of it. The Satan means the adversary because he isn't for anything. Rather, he's anti-everything working through lies to drag us back into darkness and disorder. In Gen Oh, here we go. It's the Stranger Things video. The Satan, the Satan, Hasatan in Hebrew, the Satan, the accuser, the adversary, the devil, the slanderer. So all these, these titles there, this original rebel. And that was week one. And then week two, we, we looked at these other strange spiritual beings. Okay, we got kind of really strange. And these strange spiritual beings are called the sons of God, the Benai Elohim. And Elohim means spiritual beings. And, and, the, and these, these beings rebel. Um, they come and they have sex with human, the human uh, woman, right? And they, they father these, um, these giant um, part God, part spirit, uh, uh, human beings called Nephilim, these giants. They follow these giants. In fact, it's really interesting because uh, Second Temple literature, uh, if you want to know what Second Temple literature is, it's, it's the Jewish writings around 300 BC through to the time of Jesus. This period is called the Second Temple period. And some of, according to Second Temple literature, is that they claim that the, that the, the dead Nephilim spirits are these unclean spirits, these demons we encounter uh, in the New Testament, so you can believe it or not, this is a big claim that the Second Temple writers, and we see um, some of those through Scripture. And then, then we looked at these other figures, right? These other spiritual beings, these other Elohim that that, that God God gives uh, gives them the authority over the nations. 
Okay, because humanity rebelled at the Tower of Babel. The second rebellion, the first was in the garden, then they rebel here, right? And because of that, God hands them over to what they want, right? Which is they don't want to be ruled by God, so God hands them over to these other spiritual beings, these Elohim, and they become the gods of these nations, right? And so we kind of looked at all these things, and if you walked in here for the very first time, you're thinking, this is Stranger Things indeed. Indeed, I encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel, look up Hamilton Elam, and you can get strange with us there. Um, so there we have it. That's what we looked at. So, so here's the thing. So these are the casts that are in place. So how is God going to deal with these spiritual rebels? How is God going to reclaim the nations once again? And the answer is this. It's Jesus. So when Jesus begins his ministry, Mark chapter 1 talks about Jesus beginning his ministry. He begins his, his, his ministry with this one simple message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Good news is gospel, right? Believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel. So you read this passage. Jesus begins his ministry in Mark chapter 1. He says, kingdom of God is at hand, declaring, announcing the kingdom of God is here. I am ushering in the kingdom of God. And then what we see in chapter in Mark is that from there he goes on and he, and he begins to, to gather in his first disciples. And, and his first disciples were, were Andrew, Peter, James, and John. And then he, so he, he gathers his first disciples. And from there he heals a demon-possessed man. A demon-possessed man. So according to the, to the book of Mark, the first thing he does is heal a demon-possessed man. That's Mark chapter 1, verse 16 onwards. We need to understand something. This event, this incident in the Bible, is the very first time in the entire Bible where a demon has been exercised from a human person. Exorcism. This is the first case of exorcism in the Bible. The first time we encounter this. The first time we see this happening, it is this moment. The announcement of the kingdom of God coincides with the expulsion of demons. Okay, are you ready? Maybe you need to put your seatbelts on. It's, beginning, it's getting a bit stranger here, yeah, stranger things, right? The, and um, the ministry of Jesus marks the beginning of God taking back the nations and defeat these dark spiritual beings. And this is the announcement of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is here. And so, here we, and so when we get to Luke chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus gathers the 12 disciples, right? He gathers them together, and he gives them the power and the authority over demons. And then he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. All right, this is what he does. Go out there, proclaim the kingdom of God. This is Mark chapter 9, verse 1 to 6. But you ever wondered, wondered, to, you ever wondered why 12 disciples? Why 12? When Jesus did something, he didn't just do something because, well, you know, I chose 12 because one day there's going to be this amazing painting, and, um, and 12 fits really perfectly in that painting. Otherwise, it's going to be a longer painting by a guy by the name of Leonardo da Vinci, you know. Uh, has anybody, ever had, anybody here had that painting in your house? Right? Anybody had that painting? This, this is, every Pacific Island home I went to, that painting was hanging in the house. I said to my mom, Mom, when it's your time to be with Jesus, I want that painting. Make sure that nasty son of yours doesn't claim it first. Okay, anyway, I didn't say that. Anyway, why 12? The reason, reason Jesus chose 12 because it's a symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's 12 tribes of Israel. Israel is Yahweh's portion, God's portion. He hands over the nations 
to these other lesser spiritual beings, but for but by Yahweh, his portion is Israel. This is his portion. So this is quite significant. But what Jesus does next in Luke chapter 10 is equally as significant of what, of what he does with sending out the 12. So let's take a look at what significant thing he does next. He sends out the 12, representing the nation of Israel, God's own um, possession, right? Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appeared, uh, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. So, so Jesus sends out the 12, then he sends out the 70. It's really interesting. What, why don't you just send them out together? Why the separation? Because, because Jesus is telegraphing something here. See, the, the, the number 70 is not accidental. Because what we find in Genesis chapter 10, in Genesis chapter 10, we find a list of 70 nations descended from Noah, right? And in Genesis chapter 10. Then what's in chapter 11? The nations rebel against God, and God hands them over to their desires. They don't want to be led by God. So God says, well, you don't want to be led by me. Well, I'm going to hand you over to your desires. And he puts lesser spiritual beings over them. And that's when God uh, disinherits the nation, and he takes Israel as his own. And so Jesus sends out the 70. But you, I'm going to get a, go a little bit nerdy with you. You thought, well, actually, I thought this was nerdy already. We're just going to get a little bit nerdy. I hope that's okay. I love going nerdy sometimes. Um, in, your, in your translation, you might not have 70. You might have 72. Over here, it says Jesus is sending out 72. But if you look at the footnotes, follow the footnotes. The footnotes will say, say some manuscripts have 70. So is it 72 or is it 70? Right? Which one? Why the discrepancy? Why the discrepancy? And so this is where we get nerdy. Okay, now, when Alexander the Great conquered the known world, he went around Hellenizing everything. He um, bringing Greek culture. Everyone spoke one language, Greek. Now, uh, the Israelites back then, they were afraid that their children uh, won't be able to read Scripture because they, they speak Greek. And so they began to translate the Hebrew writings into Greek, what's known as the Septuagint, the Greek translation. So as the, the, as the, uh, as the Hebrew scholars are translating into to Greek, when they got to Genesis chapter 10, what they did, uh, some of these nations, they turned it into two tribes. And so in the, in the Greek translation, Genesis chapter 10 is actually 72 nations. That's in Greek. In the Hebrew, 70 nations. In the Septuagint, 72 nations. So the Luke manuscripts... The, the writings, these other Luke men are drawn from either the Hebrew or the Greek text when they were looking back at Genesis 10. Okay, that's my little nerdy thing. I thought I'd throw that in there. So, so what Luke is making a point. The writer of Luke, he's making a point that Jesus is bringing back the nations into the family of God. That's what he's doing. That, that, that God sent out the 12 and the 70, that both Jews and Gentiles are welcomed back into God's family, that Jesus is making a declaration that I'm reclaiming the nations, that you are welcomed back into God's family. Amen? In fact, when we get to uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says this, The 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, this is another strange passage, He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning, from heaven. I was like, you know, I said, hey, Jesus, oh my gosh, 
man, even the demons, they, even they, they've all been cast out. And then his re- simply replied to him, hey, I saw Satan being cast out of heaven like, uh, for, like lightning from heaven. Now, here's the thing. Is Jesus remembering an event before the creation of man? And here's the thing. The, 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 the text that surrounds us doesn't, doesn't fit that thought. Because what does fit that thought is this, is that when the 70 returned with joy, at that moment, Jesus saw in the spiritual realm that Satan's authority had fallen. His agenda has been defeated. Satan's role as the accuser is finished. Member of the kingdom of God, then Satan has no more claim on you whatsoever. His hold on you is broken. His authority is broken. You have been brought back into a right relationship with God. That's what Jesus says, what he says, following that verse. And that's the verse we started with. He goes from, he goes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Then verse 19, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, overcome all the power of the enemy. I think, well, and this isn't, this isn't a literal thing, but it's far more powerful because the snake crusher from Genesis chapter 3, Jesus gives his followers the authority. This is spiritual, far more powerful than something that's literal. Literal. When you receive Jesus, the snake crusher gives you the authority to walk away from the powers of evil. Because in the world of darkness, there came a light, and darkness couldn't snuff it out. When every person turns to this light, Jesus gives you the authority to walk away from the powers of darkness. The powers of darkness have no authority over your life. They might try to tell you they do, try to tell you they have power. They have no power. Because Jesus' ministry is the beginning of the end for Satan and the gods of the nations. So what is spiritual warfare? All right, what is spiritual warfare? This is what you've all been waiting for. What is spiritual warfare? You know, is it Ghostbusters? You know, is this, this is what we are? You need to understand something. Jesus never commanded his followers to go up personally to find evil spirits and do battle. You won't find a command like that whatsoever in the Bible. We are not called to be Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Well, not me. <laughs> However, Jesus has authorized us when we, when we come across someone who's been afflicted uh, by um, some presence is to cast them out, to bring healing. Okay, we can't bring healing when we come across, not to go actively seek it out. He's given us authority to do that. But spiritual warfare, what Jesus gave us to us is far more powerful than seeking out and becoming ghostbusters. Because instead, instead, Jesus gives us the command of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is our spiritual warfare. And you're like, what? <laughs> so, let's take a look at it. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Some people think it's called the, it's the Great Suggestion. Good suggestion, Jesus. It's not a suggestion. <laughs> Matthew 28 verse 18 says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, the power and the authority of the enemy, enemy spiritual beings has been nullified at the cross. God was taking back the nations. God has given Jesus 
all the authority he had once given to these rebellious spirits. This is why the Great Commission begins the way it begins. The way that it starts, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The authority you have, you no longer have it. It has been taken from you. You have no authority. No dark forces has authority over your life. They will pretend they do. They may feel like they're more powerful than you, but they're not. They're just deceivers. Jesus will go on to say that the devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. And for some of us, he's been lying to you for far too long. All authority has been given to him. Jesus has taken back the keys of death in Hades. All authority has been given to him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That God was reclaiming the nations and that, that they will once again be included in his family. We have been given a mission, right? This is your mission. You have been given a mission of invading demonic strongholds of the world. So how do we do that? So what, that's my mission, to invade demonic strongholds? How do we do that? We do that with the message of the love of Jesus Christ. That's how we do it, with the message of the love of Jesus Christ. See, if, if we could see with spiritual eyes, we see a world in darkness, but in the darkness, peppered throughout the world are these lights and the lights of the, of the Holy Spirit indwelt within each believer. And these lights, they're seeking each other out. And when they gather, the light begins to push back the darkness. Because this is what it means for us. It means that this is our spiritual warfare. This is how we do battle, by sharing the gospel message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is our spiritual warfare. That when the church gathers, when two or three come in His name, that gathering is therefore holy ground. You are standing on holy ground, not because this building is holy. You are standing on holy ground because you are holy. And when we gather together, Come on, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. He says, you are the temple of God, that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. In other words, every believer is sacred space. The most sacred space on the planet is not some building. The most sacred place on the planet is not some temple. But you are the most sacred place on the planet Earth because in you dwells the Holy Spirit. And you are a light. And wherever your feet tread, you invade enemy territory. You take back. And he gives you a mission. How do we invade? By telling others about Jesus. More come to know Jesus. More lights are created. And lights seek each other out. When two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. That's how we take back the nations. You know, um, I shared this story before. Um, my youngest brother on my mum's side, he's got a different dad to me. I'm 19 years older than him. 19 years older than him. And um, unfortunately, when he was five years old, his father died of cancer. And so I kind of took him under my wings and I began to share with him about the love of Jesus. And uh, when he was nine, um, we moved to Hamilton. We, we left we left Mangere and we come here. And uh, unfortunately for my, my, my younger brother, as he grew older and he became a teenager, he got caught up 
He got caught up with the wrong crowd, got in trouble with the police a lot. A lot of got involved in fighting and all the kind of stuff they can get up to. Um, it was a real headache for us uh, and our family. And, uh, but praise God today. Today he's married. Uh, he's got four beautiful children. He's doing really, really well. Praise God. You just, just a lot of prayer. This week. We're now, we, you, know, we know, you know what I'm talking about with family members. Well, not so long ago, he gave me a call, and, and uh, my, my younger brother, he's really introverted. He's really an introvert. He doesn't really talk. So when he rang me up, I was kind of, what? Why are you talking to me? Like, you don't talk to me. You know I mean, you don't ring me up. We talk, but you don't, you don't give me a call. And, and he was telling me that his, he found out that his, um, his sister was dying, his sister on his dad's side. And his sister was in, a, in her 60s, and she got cancer. And he was telling me that he went to go visit her when she had cancer, and he wanted to tell her about Jesus. And she shut him down and said, don't you tell me about Jesus. Don't you tell me about God. I do not believe in God. And then he got a phone call that morning saying that she's just had this real bad stroke, and she hasn't got long to live. And, she, and he rings me up and goes, and so I, I, I'm desperate for her to know Jesus. And to be honest, I was kind of surprised because um, I didn't realize that he had taken in so much that I see because he just, because of his lifestyle became, and I didn't realize, you don't realize what you say when you begin to teach your children, you tell your young kids stuff about Jesus, that doesn't go away, it's still there, that seed. And when the Lord will use that, and it began to sprout in his life, when, back when he got his life together, and I said to him, look, and he goes, what's, what's that prayer you say? I was going, look, it's, it's not just a prayer, not just words you say. You, you know, your sister has to, she has to mean this. It's a decision point. She has to mean it from her heart. Now, look, I'll send you something. Could you send me something? So I just, to be honest, I just kind of Googled something. I was, oh, yeah, that'll do. And I sent it to him, <laughs> you know. He rings me up that night. because Ants, you got to understand something, Ants. I went to see her at the hospital. And, and she couldn't speak because she's got a stroke. And I said to her, do you want to know Jesus? She nods her head. And then all her other siblings on that side left because darkness and light can't be in the same room. No, just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> they leave. They go, oh, we're out of here. We're not going. And he's there with him and his wife. And he says to his sister, he says, he says, you know, you have, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to know Jesus, but you can't just, it's not just a prayer. You have to meet it in your heart. Are you, are you, do, are, do you want to receive Jesus? Do you really believe and trust what he's did for you? This is what he's saying to her. My, my, my brother, who can't speak much, he's, he's introverted. He's a boxer. That's what he does. He, he's a, he, does he, he, he does boxing. And then uh, and she's like, and he nods her head. And he goes, repeat after me, because he's reading my thing. And he, like, he kind of figures, oh, that's right. You've, you've, you've had a stroke. You can't speak. And he begins to read this prayer. And he says, she begins to recite it word for word in perfect English as if she never had a stroke. And she received Jesus as her Lord and Savior in the hospital on her deathbed. And, she, and he rings me and he tells me this. And I was like, that actually worked? You know, like, I just sent you something. I was like, what? You, you, did, you did this? You? You led her into a prayer? You? Of all the people that I know, you led her into a prayer to know Jesus as the Lord? She dies a week later. He brings me her handout, 
on her handout are these poems that she wrote days before she died. And it's, and it's about the love of Jesus Christ and the love of God. And she's talking about his character. And I'm saying, how does she know his character? She's been a week with Jesus. Let me tell you something. She, I don't know how Jesus did it, but she, he spent a week with her. We have been called to take back the strongholds of the enemy with the love of Jesus Christ. That is our spiritual warfare. You may think you have got no words. You may think that your past is the default for your life. You, you don't realize who I am or what I've done. If my brother can do it, anyone can. Let me tell you that. That's a miracle in itself. And then my brother's gone back to this usual, just himself again. Come on. You have been given a mission of invading the demonic strongholds of the world with the message of the love of Jesus Christ. That is our spiritual warfare. Jesus is our spiritual warfare. The Great Commission is the call to reclaim the nations. And it's the message of Jesus. The love of Jesus. That's how we do it. Come on, church, let us pray.